God. So, so this is new, uh, a three-week series called Too Busy Not To. Too Busy Not To, and you're probably thinking you've seen that somewhere before. And you're right, it's a book by Bill Hybels called Too Busy Not To Pray. Not that I'm pushing this book, but it is down in the resources. Too Busy Not To Pray by Bill Hybels. And uh, we're going to be moving with that because too busy, too busy, too busy. How often does that go through our heads? Too busy. I'm sure we're all aware of it, uh, an acceleration of of life, of demands and, and deadlines, of science and technology, of pressure and expectation. Too busy. Life is, is faster now than it used to be. And with that seems to come an increasing distraction. Like we must be connected into technology somewhere all of the time. And with that seems to come an increasing dysfunction. Like we can't be still and still be meaningful. Meaningful with God. Meaningful with each other. Too busy. Even with this, preparing this sermon, I'm there thinking, I've got so much going on this week. I need to get started. I need to get some ideas down. I need to copy some books. Yes, we do that. (laughs) I haven't got time to stop and to pray and to wait on God. Allow him to enter the time and make it meaningful, which is the most important thing. Too busy. And that's a measure of where culture is at. That's where I'm sometimes at. And that's what we're challenging here in this series. We're too busy not to be doing these things. Too busy not to pray, as Bill Hybels writes about. Too busy not to invest, as I'm speaking about. Too busy not to think, as Alison's going to be speaking about. Too busy not to share, as Janet's going to be speaking about. Too busy. And something that I've learnt over recent years is that God is slow. God is slow. He is. He's got all the time in the world, all the time in eternity. I'm sure he does recognise and respond to a life and death sense of urgency. But in general, God is slow. God does his best work. His best work is transforming work slowly. He gives me time. He gives us time as he answers our prayers and he works in us as he does that to move us to his will and I don't know about you but I sometimes find that frustrating even annoying and sometimes I want to speed God up I want some answers Oswald Chambers in his writings he said beware of getting ahead of God by your very desire to do his will beware of getting ahead of God by your very desire to do his will Too busy not to is about an active faith. It's about countering the the culture of distraction and and dysfunction. It's about going at God's speed and doing his will. Mark 8 verse 36, Jesus says, What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? What good is it for a man to gain the whole world and yet forfeit his soul? And you think, yeah, Yeah, sometimes this accelerated life, it seems soulless, as if people have sold out to something that is consuming them. And maybe that is the irony of consumerism. 
But this isn't just about countering the culture. This is about investing. This is about the things we do and say. This is about living our lives in a a meaningful way. We're too busy not to invest. And I want to start with Jesus. Jesus slows us down. I mean, he doesn't often answer our questions with a yes or no. He tells stories, tells parables that we have to work out and think through that constantly challenge how we live our lives. And I want to look at one of these, one of these parables. I don't often read straight through scripture, but let's do it here because it is what it is. And sometimes we need to let Jesus speak to us and tell us how he told it. The parable of the talents. The parable of the talents, it comes in Matthew 25. Matthew 25, and it says, Again, it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted his property to them. To one he gave five talents, to another two talents, and to another one talent, each according to his ability. Then he went on his journey. The man who had received the five talents went at once and put his money to work and gained five more. So also the one with the two talents gained two more. But the man who had received the one talent went off, dug a hole in the ground and hid his master's money. After a long time, the master of those servants returned and settled accounts with them. The man who had received the five talents bought the other five. Master, he said, you entrusted me with five talents. See, I've gained five more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. The man with the two talents also came. Master, he said, you have entrusted me with two talents. See, I've gained two more. His master replied, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. Then the man who had received the one talent came. Master, he said, I knew that you are a hard man, harvesting where you have not sown and gathering where you have not scattered seed. So I was afraid and went out and hid your talent in the ground. See, here is what belongs to you. His master replied, you wicked, lazy servant. So you knew that I harvest where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. Well then, you should have put my money on deposit with the bankers. So that when I returned, I would have received it back with interest. Take the talent from him and give it to the one who has the ten talents. For everyone who has will be given more and he will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what he has will be taken from him. And throw that worthless servant outside into the darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. It's challenging teaching. Challenging teaching. Certainly there at the the finish. And I know this parable is financial with the talents, a a sum of money being given out. What it does, what it does is to set up the the master to the servant relationship and tells us how it should work between us and, and God. Right at the start. It's important that we see where it says the talents were given out according to the servant's ability. God knows what we're capable of and our potential. He doesn't demand of us what we can't do. But he has given us 
God has given all of us, given all of us time and skills and abilities, resources and money. And he expects us to use them now to reach our potential, to give them, to invest them wisely for him until he returns. In the servant, the servant that was given the the one talent, there was fear and there was resentment inside of him. There was a, a wrong relationship with the master and that caused the servant's actions. And if we, if we hold on to what we've got, if we don't give it, our world gets smaller. It comes down and down to one, us. We bury ourselves in the ground. But if we give ourselves, if we give ourselves, give our time, give our skills, give our abilities and our resources and our money, there is a return. The kingdom of God here on earth advances. And there at the finish, there at the finish of the parable, there is judgment. It casts a a shadow back over the parable. How we respond now does determine where we spend eternity. And that was it. That was it. Jesus often told parables without explanation, left the crowds to, to work it out. And maybe for me and for what comes next, that's what I'm doing. Jesus told stories and I want to tell some of my own stories here, things I've seen in other people, things I'm learning at the moment because we're all investors, we're all investors. We invest in ourselves, we invest in others, we invest in God. And I've got eight things, eight things that investors do. The first thing, the first thing that I see is that people who invest, they live the ordinary life really well. They live the ordinary life really well. They don't need the hype. They don't need to be center stage to be working hard and investing in the everyday. Eugene Peterson, who translated the Message Bible. Eugene Peterson, in a book called The Jesus Way, he writes this. He says, what is more impressive than the miracles that Jesus performed is that he performed so few of them. Even though Jesus, even though Jesus is the the son of God, when he came and when he lived with us, he was vulnerable and immersed in the ordinary lives that we live as believers. He spoke normally. He ate and drank like us. He laughed and cried with us. Peterson continues to write and he says this, the way of Jesus is not a sequence of exceptions to the ordinary, but a way of living deeply and fully with the people here and now in the place we find ourselves. A way of living deeply and fully with the people here and now in the place we find ourselves. Jesus didn't transform people overnight. Often he he taught them and he, he left them to work it out for themselves. Even with the disciples, those that were closest to him. There was three years, three years living together. And it was only after Jesus' death and, and resurrection that the disciples got it. They got it and they became what they were meant to be. God does his best work, his transforming work, slowly. The hype, the the center stage, even the miraculous, we may see it, we may experience it, but the investments, the lasting investments, often come through living the ordinary life really well. Then, then there's the, the quiet water. The quiet water and the second thing. One of the books in the Bible that you don't read when you need some encouragement is the book of Job. It comes 
Some of you have read it, hey. It comes in the Old Testament, and it just to, to give you an overview, it starts out with Job, who it says was the, the greatest man among all the people of the East. He was, he was blameless, and he was upright. He, he feared God, and he, he shunned evil, and he was an investor. He had gained sons and daughters, thousands of sheep and camels and oxen and donkeys and a, a number of servants. And then you get this conversation going on, this conversation going on between God and the devil, which gets unsettling as you read it. And God agrees to the, the devil's request to test Job, to see if Job was only into God because of what he could get out of God. And then it happens. Sons and daughters, sheep and camels, oxen, donkeys and servants, all killed. And Job is distraught. But he did not sin. He didn't charge God with wrongdoing. Then Job is afflicted with painful sores all over his body. And he's there sitting among the ashes, scraping himself with a broken piece of pottery. It's miserable to read and to watch. And that's only chapter 2, with another 40 chapters to go of this where three friends show up and later a fourth to counsel and challenge and finally to condemn Job. And what gets me about this is that Job was an investor. He was an investor. He invested into his family, into his business, into other people. He was the greatest man in the East. He didn't deserve what happened to him. And having lost all of that, you would think he would curse God and die. But there was another investment that Job had made. An investment into his faith, his relationship with God, which sustained him. And I'm silenced when I read through Job and realise where my own faith is at. People who invest, they know that life happens. And it's in the, the quiet water, the quiet water when things are going just fine, that they invest into their faith. They invest into themselves. They invest into their friendships, into their marriage, into their children. Wherever they are at in life, they are never too busy to invest. Because quiet water can become storm water. We never know what's coming, what emergencies or opportunities, what changes or even temptations, things that could bring us down. But investors have a, a reserve. They have a reserve like Job, a reserve of grace, a reserve of mercy, a reserve of forgiveness, a reserve that is filled in the quiet water and sustains them through the storm water. Another parable. Another parable that Jesus told was about a shrewd manager. comes in Luke 16. And it starts off again with the, the master there, whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. The manager realises that his, his job is on the line and he decides to alter all of the accounts. And I want to say, if you're an accountant, don't do that. As the debtors came in, he got them to reduce their bills. So that when he lost his job, when the manager lost his job, they would think he was great. And almost absurdly, it worked out. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly and gained friends. Now I've never been sure on this parable. I think, Jesus, did you get this one right when you told it? But what I am certain about, what I'm certain about is that there is generosity here. Immense generosity. And that's the third thing that people that invest, they are generous. I've seen it. I've experienced it myself. People that invest are generous with their time. 
They give themselves to others, listening and encouraging and releasing the potential that's there. People that invest are generous with their skills and abilities, offering and using them to bring growth to whatever is going on. And they teach. They teach what they know, passing on those skills and abilities to others. They're generous with their resources. If they've got it, then they will give it to others to use. They're generous with their money, giving to causes and and bringing aid and healing to others less fortunate in who they are and what they do. People that invest make you the, the person, the receiver of their generosity. They make you feel loved and important and somehow stronger. And it's a way of life, a, a way of being that attracts people to them. A number of books, a number of books in the New Testament were written as letters to the churches. And the book of Ephesians is one of these. And this is where the fourth thing about investors comes from. Written by the Apostle Paul in chapter 4, he talks about our faith, our faith and how we do life, that we should no longer be infants, no longer infants being tossed back and forth by the waves, being blown here and there by every wind of teaching. Instead, instead speaking the truth in love, we should in all things grow up into Christ and visually seeing those waves And seeing our lives like a a boat, like a boat that is moving through the quiet waters and the storm waters. For me, investors must be secure. Not tossed back and forth, not blown here and there. They must hold to the teaching of Jesus. Secure investors don't feel threatened. They don't control or manipulate. And they are equally content, equally content, center stage or backstage. Recognized or unrecognized, looked up to or overlooked. It's all the same to them because it isn't about them. It's all about Christ. It's all for his glory, all for his kingdom and self never comes into that. When it comes to investing, there's often an exchange, an exchange that happens. And this is the the fifth thing about investors. They are prepared to sacrifice. Often saying no, saying no to the personal gain here and now and saying yes, yes to the future gain that will benefit someone else. This year, this year was the first time me and Rach, my wife, have been camping since we got married and had the the children. So for them, for Emily who is five and for Jay who is two, this was their first time ever. And I don't know, maybe it was because I'm now the dad going camping with my own two children. Memories of a a caravan holiday when I was growing up came back to mind and you you see things differently. I started thinking about what you give up so that you can invest in your own children. And I was there on the campsite at 36 years old and I was sitting on my tricycle, I mean Jay's tricycle. And I realized that 10 years ago, I had a motorbike, an RGV 250 that went from 0 to 60 in under four seconds. And now I'm pushing myself along with my own legs. And later on in the holiday, I was there on the beach flying my butterfly kite. (laughs) Jay's butterfly kite. And I realized that 10 years ago, I had a power kite that would pull you along on the sand. And now I just look pretty. (laughs) Investing. 
Investing is about us saying no now. Although the no to the motorbike, that came from Rach, my wife. (laughs) Investing is about us saying no now to the personal gain and saying yes to the, the future gain to benefit someone else. That's the sacrificial life. And when Jesus said anyone coming after him would have to pick up have to pick up their own cross and carry it. That's what he meant. There would be a cost, a cost to following, a cost to investing. But Jesus paid it first. The sixth thing, the sixth thing about in- investors is that they are patient. They're patient. And it seems we're born to, to want things now. Ask any two-year-old about that. And patience is something we have to work at. When I think about when I came back to my faith in my early 20s and felt challenged to to read through the Bible in a year and had a number of failed attempts at that and then finally I succeeded. It's only now about 15 years later that I realised the importance of that investment. So I want to encourage anyone here, I want to encourage you, if you're losing patience with this, if you're losing patience with yourself, losing patience with God or with the church, I want to encourage you. If you're struggling to pray, don't give up. If you're struggling to read your Bible, don't give up. If you're struggling with church, don't give up. If you're struggling with wrong in your life, don't give up. Our faith, our faith gets stronger in the struggle. And we need patience. Patience for the investments that we're making to come through and pay off. And that may be years from now, but it will be worth it. It will be worth it because everything that we do for God is always worth it. The seventh thing. The seventh thing is that investors have a big picture view of life, a big picture view of life. They don't live in it all the time. They are working it out alongside doing the ordinary really well. But they do look up. They look up from the ordinary and see more than what's in front of them. More than the the school run, more than the nine to five, more than the freezer full of microwave meals, whatever it is, they can see God's kingdom. They can see God's kingdom coming here and now. And they know that they are a vital and an active part of something that is glorious, something that is eternal and so much bigger than all of this. In Philippians 3, the Apostle Paul The Apostle Paul is caught up in the big picture and he writes this. He says, one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. We live out. We live out our lives in the ordinary. But our calling, our calling far exceeds that. It calls us heavenwards. And one more thing here, which comes with the the big picture, is that these investors, they deal with disappointments really well. I don't know about you, but I can remember all my failures when I've let myself down, when I've let others down. I have to work harder to remember my successes. Maybe that's human nature, I don't know, but I do know that if we let them, our failures, our disappointments can limit and even deny our future so we need to deal with them give them over to God and we may need to do this a a number of times but whatever we do we can't let our past deny our future 
The eighth thing. The eighth thing that investors know is that they will leave this earth with their work unfinished. They will leave this earth with their work unfinished. But they've dealt with that too. They even desire that. They want to run the race really well and be passing it on, passing the, the good news back to the next generation. Matthew 6, starting in verse 19, Jesus said, He said, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The question is, what treasure can you store up in heaven? It isn't financial, something physical. It can only be spiritual. It can only be spiritual. People saved, the good news passed on. The kingdom of God advancing. Investors know that now is important. And it's important because what we do now is going to have an impact in a year's time, in two, in three, in four, in five years' time. It's going to have an impact in, in, in 10, in 20, in 30 years' time. And if we get it right, if we're investing right and passing it back to the next generation, it's going to have an impact. When we've been forgotten and we're gone from this earth and when we're living it up in glory... We're coming through to the finish now, to the finish. And what's got me here is that all I've said so far about investing, it works, it works, it's important. Investors do do the ordinary life really well. They're generous, they're sacrificial, they have a, a big picture view of life. But for me, there is something more, something more. See ya. A leadership consultant, a, a business guru could say most of that. Maybe they wouldn't use the parables and talk about heaven and future glory, but it would work out there. And I'm after, I'm after what's different about us as followers, as believers. Because following Jesus, responding to the, to the good news is an encounter with God. And I want to live like I know him, like I know Jesus and the power of his resurrection life in me. In another New Testament letter with the book of 2 Corinthians in chapter 1, Paul uses some investment language and he writes this. He says, Now it is God who makes both us and you stand firm in Christ. He anointed us, set his seal of ownership on us and put his spirit in our hearts as a deposit guaranteeing what is to come. As believers, as believers, God invested his Holy Spirit in us and that's what's different about us. It's not what we've done, but it's God's investment. It's what he's done for us. After the death and resurrection of Christ, God sent his spirit, the spirit of the living God to, to live in us and that changes, that impacts every other investment that we make in this life. And that's where God is challenging me. And that's where I want us to finish, with that knowledge, that knowledge. And sometimes you've got to say over and over and over again, as believers, God's spirit is invested in us. It's invested in us. And it's his power, the power of God that works in us. And it works to transform these bodies of ours. And it works to transform these minds of ours and to transform these hearts of ours. 
to transform them into the likeness of Christ. And there's no limit to that power. It isn't limited to what happens here in the church. The Spirit of God works in us to transform every area of our lives, to transform our friendships, our marriages, our parenting, our health, our jobs, our finances, to transform our future, our, our past, our character, our attitude, our emotions. God is into every area of our lives and it's only us. It's only us that can limit the work of the Holy Spirit and the investment that's going on there. And at the finish, I want to encourage you, be filled. Be filled with the fullness of the Holy Spirit. And it doesn't need someone to pray for us, for us to access this investment of the Spirit. When we became a, a Christian, when we asked Jesus into our lives, God put his spirit into our hearts and it's there now. And it's something as believers that we can do every day. We can say, God, come fill me. God, fill me with your spirit and he will do that. It isn't strange. It isn't meant to be because this is everyday life for a spirit-filled believer. And as we finish and if the worship team want to come back, I want to pray for us now. I want us to wait on God, for him to come and fill us with his spirit. So let's stand. And I'm going to pray, but really this is between us and God. It's his spirit that lives in us. And we can do this every day of our lives. Ask him to come and fill us and he will do that. So let's pray. God, I pray right at the finish now. Come by your spirit. Lord, as believers, your spirit is invested in our hearts. We're anointed. We're sealed. We're yours. And I pray right now, Lord, you would come and fill us. You would come and fill us with your spirit. Come fill me. Come fill us. And God, as each of us ask you, Lord, your spirit is there. And I pray each of us as believers would know that we are filled and full with your spirit and not only would we do that today but we'd start every day of our lives with that prayer God fill us with your spirit come now and as we head into worship Lord Jesus I pray that this would be a time where we'd open up to you and allow you allow you to come with your spirit in our lives I pray in the name of Jesus Amen